Um, so today I've got the privilege of preaching on Luke 18. So if you want to open your Bibles there, and I'm going to do a little experiment with you. So I wondered, uh, Andy, whether you could uh, hand those out to everyone around here. Maybe uh, somebody over here would like to do the same. Uh, just a couple per rows. I'll tell you in a minute what the experiment is. But we're going to look at blind spots. Anyone knows what blind spots are? No, well, just in case, I'll give you a little physics lesson. Uh, blind spot is basically produced in the, in the brain because uh, your eye views things. Um, uh, obviously, all the information comes in through the eye, but there is uh, the optical nerve that attached to the eye, like you say, the USB lead between the eye and the brain, that sends the information through to the brain, and that lead connection is the one point in your eye that you can't recept any uh, visual information of. Um, and then, uh, obviously, at the back of your eye, where you, it's like the screen of your eye, where all the images come in, uh, it collects all of that. And the brain has got a wonderful thing of filling in that blank. Um, you don't, when you look around, you can't see spots missing in your eye, can you? No. Uh, if you put one, one hand over your eye, you, you don't see really, you don't see any spots, do you? The brain has very cleverly managed to kind of fill in, blending in with the rest of it. And uh, just to do a little uh, uh, exercise with you, you've all got a little slip of paper that's been handed out. Um, so as you do that, here's the way that you need to do this. So you need to put your hand over your left eye, look at the piece of paper in front of you, um, and uh, um, I think like hold it a little bit further away, like arm's length, uh, and then try to bring it closer. Uh, now, you need to look at, uh, uh, let's have a, have a look, what, uh, you need to look at the, the, the little um, a plus on the side, so the little plus, so make sure that that's on your left, and that the dot is on your right, yeah, make sure that the, 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 the plus is on your left, dot on your right, so um, hand over your um, left eye, and then you need to kind of focus on one of those, and then move it further out, and then move it back in, until you miss the other point the other side of the paper. Can you see that happening? At some point, you'll find it disappearing. So, hand, so. Plus on the left side, dot on the right side, hand over your left eye, move it slowly closer whilst you keep your eye on the plus. At some point, the dot will disappear. Yeah? All right. Well, just leave that. If uh, somebody next to you doesn't have a slip of paper, maybe you can pass it on so they can have a go too. That would be great. Right, let's press pause there. I can see you're all getting excited about this little experiment. So that's a physical blind spot in your brain. Um, we also have personal blind spots. Did you know that? No, because no, you're unaware of your personal blind spots. Um, however, the other people around you would be well aware of your personal blind spots. So for example, one of my blind spots is that I can be absent of mind without knowing it. Uh, for example, I'm kind of thinking of, um, I don't know, let's say a preach illustration. And I'm sitting around the table with my family, and Simona says, Walter, you're a bit absent. And I'm like, 
I'm not absent, I'm totally present. And then she'll say, so what did we talk about for the last two minutes? And I'll go, ah, I see your point, I see your point, yeah. I was unaware. Now, some of you will have personal blind spots as well, um, and uh, the only way to discover those is to ask other people around you, uh, and usually we're a little bit defensive about our personal blind spots, aren't we? Yeah, that's why they call blind spots. We usually don't think that what we are not very good at, um, we, we, we're not aware of those. Now, today, we're going to look at spiritual blind spots. Now, spiritual blind spots are created by looking at God through our own lenses. So if we have an idea what God is like and we put him in a box, we are likely to miss what he's really like. You see, we all have spiritual blind spots. We assume things about God that actually aren't true. There's things that we say about God uh, that, that kind of fit in more with our category than who God really is. But if God is the God of the universe, God will not be... And he created everything, the, the whole universe, the world, and you. He is not going to be a God who you can just make up in your mind. He is what he is. And the task for us is to, to, to find, find out what he's like, to search him and to discover who he is really like. But there's a lot of people that go, Ah, I, I really like the God of the New Testament. I don't really like the God of the Old Testament. So I'm going to make up a God in my mind who is just about love. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just lose half of the revelation of Scripture and then just put the other one next to it. God's both. And we often kind of play these little mind tricks. And then we often kind of go like, well, surely God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, so it's quite okay for me to skip over some other things that the Bible talks about. You can't do that. If God's God then it's up to us to find out what it's really like. But, but we can't make up a God in our own minds and then, and then miss who he's really like. And that's what we're going to look at today because the disciples walked with Jesus for three years and they totally missed what Jesus was all about. And it's, it's very true for us. We can walk with Jesus for years and still miss what he's really like. So let's turn to Luke 18. Luke 18 verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the prophets, about the Son of Man, will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. But the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he started to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he just kept shouting. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus 
praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. What a wonderful illustration of Jesus' love for us. Now, Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, traveling past Jericho. Uh, it's probably about 19 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem, but there's a, a 3,400 feet climb as he goes up to Jerusalem. It is literally going up to Jerusalem. But the truth is that it's more about not just a physical going up. There has been a whole history building up to this very, very moment. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem as his last travel, his last visit. This is where his whole ministry has been leading up to. And he's taking the, the disciples aside and uh, he's telling them what they should expect. He's telling them what's going to happen. His whole ministry has been leading up to this and he wants them to understand what is going to happen in Jerusalem. And he talks to them about what's ahead. However, the disciples don't get it. Now, he's been talking to the disciples about this repeatedly. He's been continually saying um, that the Messiah is going to suffer. However, the disciples had a picture of the Messiah in their heads that did not match suffering. What they viewed Jesus was going to be like was a conquering king. There was anticipation rising. They were going to Jerusalem. They were visible. People were talking. They were expecting things to happen. What did they expect to happen? Nothing of what was going to happen. What they were expecting to happen was that Jesus would be the Messiah, that he will become king in Jerusalem, that he will kick out the Romans, free the oppression, and reinstate the English, uh, the English, uh, the, 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 the Israelite institute. Well, here we go. How English have I become in all those Yay! years, haven't I? Yeah? For those who don't know, I'm originally Dutch. Um, so here we go. Slip of the tongue. Um, they wanted to see the nation of, uh, of the Israelites being, uh, be reinstituted. Now, the disciples were going with Jesus and they were thinking, we're like front row. I'm going to be minister of finance, Judas thought. I'm going to be ministry of defense, Peter thought. They were all thinking they were going to have important seats on the table when this new kingdom was about to arrive. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom, when he talks about the Messiah, they have got such a picture in their mind, they completely misaligned with scripture. And they didn't see it. They were totally spiritually blind. They couldn't see what Jesus was going to do. And therefore, Jesus takes them aside again. But they were filled with spiritual blindness they could not see. He said, everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Now, when Jesus uses the word Son of Man, it's one of his favorite titles that he uses. It's kind of a political way of referring to himself as the Messiah. He never calls himself the Messiah openly and publicly uh, to avoid unwanted attraction. He didn't want the crowds to promote him to becoming king because he had a different agenda. So he often referred to himself as the Son of Man. Now, when you flick through to Daniel and you see the words about the Son of Man, the prophecies about the Son of Man, you can read in there that they are talking about the Messiah, the Messiah to come, an exalted figure. And Jesus uses this language as a, almost like a little hint. But the disciples are missing the hint. They don't quite understand it. When you kind of bleed it in with some of the other prophetic words uh, from Scripture, you can see that the Messiah um, was going to be a deliverer. But there's also things in Scripture that talk about the Messiah being a suffering servant. 
Now, the Israelites liked the idea of somebody who would bring them victory. They couldn't quite get their heads around the suffering servant. So they took one and left the other. So, for example, if you go through Isaiah, um, if you've got a Bible here with you or a digital device, let me just take you through a few verses to help you to see the connection. Uh, use your Bible as a textbook. Make little notes on the site margin just to kind of refer to this. So, for example, Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50, verse 6. It says, I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. If you then flick over the page to Isaiah 52, verse 13, it says, My servant will be raised and lifted up highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Now, then probably the most important passage is Isaiah 53. So Isaiah 53, verse 3, he says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up on himself and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought, brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silence. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteousness servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. My goodness, this is a prophecy. I mean, just lay it next to the passion of Jesus, his final week, and all the things that have happened. Literally, you can see all these things starting to fall into, into place. But the, the Israelites had seen the word about the Messiah, and they'd seen about the word of the suffering servant, and they had never put them together. They didn't understand that, that this would be one and the same figure. They could not understand that a king would come to suffer, that he would be defeated in order to bring victory. It's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? It can only be God. It can only be God. And therefore, the disciples had totally missed it. The disciples, it says, did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now you wonder why. Why is it that the disciples missed this? They walked with Jesus for three years in the flesh. They heard all his teaching live. 
They've seen the miracles with their own eyes. How could they miss this? I mean, what would you give to have been in the place of the disciples? To have seen all of that, and yet they, they missed it. Why? Because their own expectations. Because of their own expectations. They could not see what God was doing because their minds were not open to God's doings. They had made their own plans and assumed that it were God's plans. They had made their own plans and assumed that it was God's plans. Now it wasn't until their experience and their hopes were totally dashed where Jesus had died and they thought they had followed a fake Messiah, that they suddenly came to the realization that their own expectations didn't match. And it was only then that they were able to start to see with Jesus' revelation what Jesus had for them. Now, it's very true for us, isn't it? Often we have to come to our own, the end of our own resources to be able to find out what Jesus is really like. Now, it, it says in Scripture that in our weakness, he is strong. And I always thought somehow that that meant that, that kind of Jesus tops up what we're missing. We're like, well, I kind of fall a bit short, so Jesus makes up the next 10% so I can get there. Well, that's totally wrong understanding of, 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 of that verse, of that truth. You see, what, what that means is when we empty ourselves of our own strengths and expectations we are able to receive God's strength. And it's in that place that we can receive from him. Now, this is, this is a bit strange, isn't it? But even this week, like some of, some of you have been fasting, you, you kind of think, this makes no sense. I feel miserable. I feel hungry. Why would I do this? I feel weak. Why would I do this? Well, it's, when you come to the end of your own resources, is that you say, Jesus, I need you. I need you more than I need food. When we're giving today, you think, this, this is going to make no sense, really. I'm going to give to something. I mean, I've got a seat here in the church already. It's fine. Like, I'm happy. Why should I give? It makes no sense to give. Giving away money, you could do a whole lot of nice things with that. The truth is, when you give, you experience putting yourself in need before Jesus. Now, we, we don't really have a great understanding of need here in the West. When we give, we usually give out of our overflow rather than out of our everything. But the truth is, when we put ourselves in need, Jesus can do wonderful things. It's not about how can I, how can I do as little as possible. It's like, how can you maximize your intake of Jesus? And, and, and this was what the disciples were wrestling with. They, they couldn't. It wasn't until they got through all of the, um, the expectations, when all of that was dashed, that they started to be able to receive Jesus for who he really is. Now, my friends, some of you are you're disappointed with God. You're disappointed because you've been praying for things and they've not happened. You've been trusting God and he's not come through for you. And, and, and you've started to make peace in your mind that, that perhaps God is not who he really is. Let me encourage you. When you're on that track, when you're on that track, you're on the right track. You're, you're not in a detour you're not in the wrong place. Uh, uh, Simon and I have been praying into things for the last uh, years that we've just we've, we've seen the opposite happen. And, and it's when you come to the end of your own resources, when that picture in your mind of what God is going to do is dashed, you can start to receive what God really wants to do. Because if you project your own will onto God, you, you'll fail to receive what God wants to do in you. 
The things that you've been after in prayer might not be the things that God wants to give you. But there might be a whole bunch of other things that he wants to give you. And when you come to the end, when you die to some of those expectations, it, it's not about just pushing God a little bit more. If I'm just going to fast, if I'm just going to pray, it's going to happen. Now it's just, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to ask God things, but then I'm going to open my hands and say, Jesus, I receive what you have for me because I trust that you are good and you're going to give me good things. You said that you would, when we ask the Father, he's not going to give us a snake. He's going to give us bread. He's going to give us good things. He's not going to give us scorpions. He's, he's, he's going to give us good things. But those good things, we don't have the right to define. God will define those things. And when we learn how to trust him, we will be able to receive from him. So if you feel discouraged this morning, if you say, this whole prayer thing, this whole fast thing doesn't work. I've done it. It doesn't work. It's not happened. Let me just encourage you. You're in the right place. You're not in the wrong place. You're in the right place. You're in the right place to come to Jesus and say, I surrender. I'm going to let go of my expectation of what you should do, and I'm going to receive what you want to do. And that is a good place, my friends. That, 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 that is a good place to be. Let me encourage you. Now, isn't it funny when we read these stories, we usually put ourselves in the place of Jesus rather than anyone else, right? You read this story... And you go, oh, those silly disciples. If I would have been there, I would have got it. Right? Yeah? When, when you see Jesus interacting with other people, we're always Jesus, aren't we? We're never the disciples. But the truth is, my friends, we are much more like the disciples than we are Jesus. Isn't that true? And it's, it's, it's when we come to Jesus and, and assuming that we see is where we are blind. When you think you see, you are blind. Because the problem is, if you think you see, you're unaware of what you don't see. Now, if you were clear, uh, this is a little bit difficult to follow, but if you were clear in an understanding that you were lacking in what you're seeing, then you would go after God and say, God, help me see. But if you think that you see what God is like, then you don't have need to go after God to ask for more. Isn't that true? Um, there's a wonderful scripture that illustrates that. Let me, let me just have a little look uh, through that. So, um, John 9, verse 39. So, uh, an, uh, the context of another healing. Uh, Jesus healed another blind man, um, uh, but then the blind mind, uh, man was captured by the Pharisees, and when he testified uh, about Jesus, he was thrown out of, the, of their community. Um, and uh, uh, they come to Jesus, and Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Huh? You kind of think, like, if Jesus is the Messiah, he'll be the one who opened the eyes of the blind people, not making people blind who can already see. But then he says this, Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too then? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. You see, the Pharisees were propped up people. They were self-righteous people. They thought that they could see. And because they thought they could see, they were blind. They missed who Jesus was. Now, it's, it's a wonderful irony where Jesus just opened the eyes of a blind man. And that person can see more than the Pharisees. 
We'll get onto the next story later on where Jesus opens the eyes of the blind man. And it's not for a coincidence that these two are fit together. Now, the only way that we can really receive what Jesus has for us is by humbling ourselves and acknowledging and assuming that we're blind. You see, if you think you got God all figured out, if, if you think you got all your theology sorted, I've got bad news for you. You're blind. If you think you'll make a great teacher telling other people about Jesus and all about the Bible and all about the kingdom because you've got it all sorted, I've got bad news. You're blind. Because when we come into the future kingdom, my friend, you're going to see all the things that you are still blind to now. We must assume that we're blind. Not that we can see. Even as I'm teaching here on a Sunday morning, I can feel the responsibility to not lead you into things that I haven't seen myself and to assume that I don't know everything. Um, Goff, one of my mentors, was a, a wonderful mentor. The, the way that he prepped his preach was he did all his studies and he wrote all his notes and he said he would get up in the morning on Sunday morning when it was still dark and he would remind himself where he was, still in the dark. And that without the revelation of God, he would not be able to teach God's word. And as we teach God's word, we still do so with limited capacity. Because there is so much that we still need to see. That's why you can follow Jesus for 90 years and still have great revelations. That's why you'll come at the end of your life into the kingdom of God. You'll be blown away and you'll probably have only really understood like half a percent of what Jesus was talking about when we get into the future kingdom. That's probably how much we see, right? Maybe even less. So we must assume that we need Jesus. That's why we must cry out to God, say, reveal yourself to me. When you read scripture in the morning and you feed yourself, pray to Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Don't assume that you can just draw one line out of scripture or one word to encourage you with and that that's your job done for the day. You need Jesus to reveal himself through scripture and through prayer because we are blind. We are blind people. And as we humble ourselves, we can see that Jesus will reveal himself. When we humble and say, Jesus, I need your revelation, Jesus loves that. He loves that. And he will come and reveal himself. And revelation is a supernatural thing. It comes from Jesus. Sometimes you read passages on and on and on and on again, and then all of a sudden, you might have read it like a hundred times, and suddenly something pops out. That's Jesus revealing something to you supernaturally. But the revelation is also a natural process. You see, the supernatural and the natural go together. You see, as Jesus reveals things to you, it is our responsibility to follow the things that he will reveal himself, that he has revealed. Now, sometimes we go to God and say, God, I really want you. I need you. Please reveal yourself. You're kind of waiting for the encounter, for the gobsmack moment where you're going to be wiped off your feet, filled with the Spirit, prophesying, healings, everything breaking through. You're kind of praying and it's not happening. Now, sometimes that happens. I don't, I don't quite understand the dynamics of the kingdom. That's okay. But, but the truth is, often it, it, it doesn't start with those moments. It starts with the little moments and obeying the little that we have. And then God will give us more. It's a little bit like my children. When, when we're going to go to a restaurant and we eat the first course, and my kids are like, I want dessert. 
What will my response be? Yeah, fine, just sit it out. We'll wait till the cheesecakes come. No, I say, come on. Like, this is a wonderful starter. Enjoy it. There's going to be more after this. But if my kids are like, I don't want that. I'm waiting for dessert. Do you reckon we're going to just move on and skip to dessert? No. It wouldn't help them, would it? They would not develop an appreciation for food. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, here's a little starter for you. Obey that. Put that into practice. Do that. And then the second course is going to come. He's not withholding it because you somehow got to tick a box, but because he wants you to take the fullness of what he has. Now, if my children were just eating the cheesecake at a Greek restaurant, and they'll come away and they go to their friends and say, I had a great meal at a Greek restaurant. I had the full Greek experience. I had cheesecake. Do you think they really experienced everything that was in there? No, they would have missed the total thing altogether. So that's why Jesus is, is, is often saying to us, make sure that you obey the little that I give you first to make sure that you get the full flavor of the kingdom. And I believe there's some of you here that have skipped over some steps. And I believe that I have skipped over some steps in my life. And I must come back to those steps and make sure that I obey those steps first and then Jesus will give me more. I think for some of you, I think a very, very important first step, like the, almost the first course in any, any uh, discipleship dinner journey, is baptism. If you are here and you're not baptized, and you've been playing mind games with yourself, all the reasons why you should not be baptized, because perhaps you were baptized as a child or whatever, uh, Jesus says, believe and be baptized. If you have not actively believed and then been actively baptized, you've missed the first course. So I want to say, make sure that you obey Jesus in that. Make sure that you listen to him. When you do, you will find that there's going to be more. Um, there, there will be lots of other things that Jesus could put his finger on. It might be forgiving those around you. It, it might actually learning how to give, even as we've been doing our gift day today. Maybe you've been withholding that from Jesus. Uh, maybe it might be just obeying certain things where you've kind of been playing a little bit tag with Jesus, where some things that he says you do and other things you ignore. Let me just encourage you to listen to all that Jesus has and put it into practice. And as you do, he will give you more. Um, the, the, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 gives, gives a wonderful illustration of what Jesus means by this. So Matthew 25, verse 29, he says, For whoever has uh, will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whatever, uh, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. That's a confusing verse, isn't it? But again, it's the same principle. So the context of the parable of the talents is that um, uh, the, uh, an owner goes away and he gives his um, uh, servants uh, different amounts uh, to invest. And then you can see that the one with lots of amounts to invest has put it to work and gets more. The other one has put it to work and gets more. And then the one with the littlest has not put any of it to work. And therefore, it's taken away from him. That's funny, isn't it? I always wonder, why, why was the one with the littlest... Well, I think it's this principle, that if you don't obey the little that Jesus gives you, if you don't put the little that you have into practice and, and, and use it to serve with, then, then, then Jesus is going to wait for you in order to do that, to be able to give you more.
And I just want to encourage you, whatever God is putting on your heart right now, listen to him and put it into practice. Now, then we come to the story of the blind man. Jesus is going from... um, Jericho to Jerusalem. He's talking to the uh, disciples what's going to happen. And then, lo and behold, at the entrance uh, to, the, to the city, there's a blind man sitting there. And very ironically, the only person who really gets it is the blind man. The only person who can really see Jesus for who he is, is the blind man. It's so ironic, isn't it? When you put the two together. So he starts shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, son of David was a clear reference to the Messiah that was to come. And this blind man had received a revelation. And now he was putting all his faith into that revelation. We can see in some of the other gospels that he throws his cloak behind him as he jumps up to get Jesus' attention. Well, if you're a blind man and you're begging on the side of the road, it means that you've been kind of cast out of the community. And the cloak is probably the only thing you have. To throw that off and you're blind is unlikely that you're going to find it again. Um, is a big thing. Yeah? And then he just starts shouting. I did that little demonstration a few weeks ago, so you can listen to that preach if you want that flavor. Um, But I'm not going to do it today. But he just starts shouting until he gets Jesus' attention, up to the point of annoyance. Jesus, son of David! And he just doesn't shut up. He just keeps shouting. People were like, shut your mouth. Go be quiet. You're messing up the entrance of Jesus into into the city. Um, and, and he just gets in the way. He's barging people. I mean, he's blind, so he's probably throwing himself in the crowd. He's shouting, waving, poking a few people in the eye, probably as he does. And he just does not move until Jesus hears him. I love that. There's something totally undignified about that, isn't it? So raw, just getting into Jesus' face. I'm going to put myself in a place where I'm not going to miss what Jesus has for me. And there's something in Jesus that I think that he likes that. Because he, he stops and he gets the man being brought to him. And then he asks him a question. What do you want me to do for you? What a crazy question. If a person's blind and comes up uh, to Jesus, why do you think he comes up to Jesus? To receive his sight. But there is something important about Jesus asking him that question. Did you know, in Jesus asking that question, Jesus already knows things. So when God asks you a question, it's never to get an answer. But it's to reveal something from what's in sight. You see, in the moment that um, we can read from uh, the other Gospels that this Bartimaeus, the blind man, in in the moment that Bartimaeus um, uh, explains to Jesus what he wants, there is a profession of expectation. There's a profession of faith. You see, so often we come to Jesus, and I love this. Um, Angela Kem is uh, one of the uh, wonderful uh, ministers that we have across Relational Mission, our family of churches that we belong to. And when she prays, she often asks this question, what do you want God to do for you? And I've been in so many meetings with her and always asking this question. Uh, And then because we're in England, the responses are usually, well, perhaps, maybe... If it would be convenient to God, I would maybe like a little slice of this. And then she's like, really? Out of all the things that you could ask Jesus, you're going to ask him for a little slice of that? When he's the king and he's got the whole buffet? I mean, there's something about our culture that feels almost ashamed to ask God for something big. But this man says, I want to receive my sight. Thank you very much. 
He's loud and clear about what he wants from Jesus. And in the moment that he articulates, there's a sense of hunger, a sense of expectation that gets uh, said out loud. Even if something saying out loud, your expectation saying out loud. When we often pray in groups, we kind of go a little bit hush, hush. Like, what's your big thing? Just between you and Jesus, you can kind of do that uh, in your bedroom, that sort of thing. There is something about stating your desire for Jesus publicly that, has, uh, uh, that, that requires faith. It requires faith, does it not? It requires faith. And there is something beautiful about Bartimaeus exclaiming that in loud voice. And, and Jesus loves it. Your faith has healed you, he says. And he receives his sight. I mean, wouldn't you have wanted to be there? Bob, eyes open. He can see. Just imagine that, being blind for your whole life. All of a sudden, you can see. How overwhelming must that be? Now, we can see that Bartimaeus professes Jesus as Lord. Yeah, but, and, there, and there's something significant in that. Because something has happened. He, he now can't just see physically but he can also see spiritually. The healing was not just physically open of eyes, but also spiritually opening of eyes. There's a a miracle that happens in that moment. Now, my friends, we pray for all these things. We believe that Jesus can do all these things. And we pray for revelation from Jesus every day. We want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. That's what says week of prayer and fasting has been all about seeking Jesus above everything else. But the reality is that he has already revealed the heart of the Father like nothing else. You see, he was going up to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, everything would unfold. He would be betrayed by his disciples. He would be taken captive um, by the, the Pharisees and their religious leaders. He would be beaten and mocked and spat upon and whipped, just like the prophecies in Isaiah talked about. He would be led to the Romans, and the Romans would put him on a cross, and there we, he would hang, uh, totally marred and broken. And as he hung there, it was the loudest revelation of the love of God that you could ever imagine. The Son of God hanging on a cross, bleeding to death over hours and hours of suffering, revealing the love of the Father for you. As we were singing this morning, I just had such a vivid picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, bleeding to death. That was the ultimate revelation of the Father. His love for you. He loved you so much, He didn't even spare His own Son. And everything we do comes out of a, not a legalistic obedience because we have to, but because we're so overwhelmed with Jesus' love for us. He did not hold back just his food or his love or not even his own life to give to us. And he would reveal the Father's heart like no other. Jesus is the revelation of God. He is the Lamb who will take away all the sins of the whole world. Jesus came to reveal the Father's heart to all of us because he loves you. When you think God is an angry God, you're right. God is an angry God when it comes to sin because he's holy. It is not right. If I see my children beating themselves up or each other, I get angry because they're not supposed to do that. But if that's all you got, you've missed the Father's heart. Because he's a loving, sacrificial father who gave his own son to solve the problem. 
He's the God of the Old Testament and he's the God of the New Testament. He is both hate against sin and love against, uh, uh, for his people and, and bringing us into redemption together. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. And I want to encourage you, my friends, receive him. Receive him because he's the only one who paths the way to life. Can I ask you all to stand together? We're going to respond to this. And the way that I would like to respond to this is just for a moment to repent. To come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am blind. I'm in the dark. I can't do this without you. So maybe just close your eyes, open your hands. Let's pray that together. Jesus, as we are here, we're celebrating all that you have done. Lord, but we don't assume that we see. Lord, we are blind. And we are in need of your revelation. We have grasped so little of what you're like. Here and now, we want more. Forgive us when, we, when we've been sitting on our high horse and debating other people about our views and justifying ourselves. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us when we've been defensive to others who've tried to lovingly point out our weaknesses. Lord, forgive us. We pray for your supernatural revelation. We pray that in this moment, Jesus, I pray that you will come and do what you did with Bartimaeus, that you will take off the scales of our eyes. Lord, and you will help us to see, to see your love, to understand your kingdom and to receive it. Lord, we want to humble ourselves. We're in the dark. We need you. Thank you that you are the light, that you have revealed yourself and that you are the light shining into our darkness. Thank you that we are not in the darkness until something happens. We're in the darkness, but turning to the light. Jesus, we receive the light as it's been portrayed in Scripture already. And now we pray, help us to see more of the light. Jesus, we love you. We love you. Lord, I want to pray for, for promptings of your spirit. Lord, what is it that we've ignored of your revelation so far? Lord, if any of my brothers and sisters and even myself, Lord, if there are things in our hearts that we've ignored, we pray for your revelation, that you help us to really grasp, to really grasp what it is that you want us to do and give us the strength to obey it. Lord, give us the strength to obey it. And now I feel that Jesus wants to ask you that question, the same question that he asked Bartimaeus. What would you like me to do for you? So just now in this little moment here, just take some time between you and Jesus and tell him what you would like him to do in your life. If you're being all English about this, get rid of the slice. Go for the full buffet, my friends. Ask Jesus for something big, something that you could do not with your own hands, but that you need him for. Ask him. Now,
Imagine Jesus blowing on your ask and says, make it 10 times bigger. What could that look like? Ask him. I want to encourage you as we finish here. Why don't you tell somebody this week what you just asked God? There's something about professing what you want God to do in your life to somebody else that has significance. And, 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 and maybe start with one, but I encourage you to do it as, with as many as you can. Because as you articulate what you want Jesus to do to others, faith will start to build. And they can stand with you and pray with you. Jesus, we pray that you'll come hear our prayers. Lord, we want to come before you. We want to humble ourselves. Say, Lord, we need you. We want you. Come and reveal yourself. Do a great work in us, Lord. We pray for big things, Lord. Like Sam just prayed, Lord. Father, we want to pray for a, a great building, Lord, that's central, visible. Lord, Father, significant and influential. Uh, Lord, Father... Uh, we, we pray that you will come and do that. Lord, we pray for our church to be flooded with the Spirit, Lord Father, coming alive. Lord Father, being stirred. Lord Father, we want to see ministries being birthed, Lord Father, reaching out to the, to the homeless and the poor, Lord Father, to families and children, Lord Father. We want to see churches planted, Lord Father, hundredfold from here. Lord Father, we want to see multiplication across the city. Lord, we want you. We need you. Lord, we desire you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.